Hey guys, Steve here. Potent Phonics. Today we're going to talk about growing with fishes. Growing with fishes. Hey everybody, welcome to episode. What are we up to? 305. Sorry, uh, I couldn't remember which 300 and what we were. Um, <laughs> thanks everybody for watching. Uh, we have a, a really great episode for you guys today. Um, uh, today we have uh, uh, Ava Arvest joining us from the Olympic Olympia Massilia Network. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thank you. It's Ava, like avocado. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, no worries. Uh, the Olympia Mycelial Network is a group that um, we started back in 2016 and um, still operates today and does like a bunch of different stuff around Olympia. Um, but I focus most of my energy and time on my business, Mycoprisal, right now. And yeah. Wonderful. Well, we're, we're happy to have you this week. We also have our co-host, Wes Engine. Thanks for joining us, Wes. Big up, Potent. Big up everybody out there. Hope everybody's doing well. Everyone's living their best life. Uh, if you guys... to... Go ahead. So, oh no, just excited to hear from our guest tonight. I was going to say, if you haven't checked it out already, uh, Wes and I actually started a new show and a new channel over called, uh, called Dat Smoke Show, D-A-T Smoke Show. Uh, and you can check that out. Um, we kind of uh, wanted to kind of make a different uh, style show than this one as well, a different vibe, a different format. So um, we had a great time last night uh, with uh, Dutch Blooms and a bunch of other wonderful people. Um, definitely go check that out yesterday. Uh, we had a good time. Um, and I'm your host, Steve, from Potent Ponics. And you can find me over at Potent Ponics SoundCloud, YouTube, all the things. Um, we also have a uh, quick house cleaning. Um, we have the, uh, the pestclass.com. We're looking for living soil and aquaponic pest control. Uh, course that's uh, affordable and has uh, all the, the release schedules and um, spray regimens and all the important stuff that you need to maintain your garden. Uh, definitely go check that out. Um, we also have uh, apmjclass.com uh, if you're looking for a full format aquaponic cannabis class. Uh, we, I think we have over seven days of content on there now in terms of a uh, number of hours and, and counting. I have a bunch more stuff that's edited that I got to finish uploading and stuff like that. So uh, we have a ton of new content up there as well. So be sure to check that out. Uh, and uh, um, we'll both, uh, the, the speaker and myself and Chris Trump, Matt Powers, bunch uh, Cass Posey, who's been on the show as well, a whole bunch of other wonderful people that are going to be on the show uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, or we'll all be at Cognitive Functions, uh, Mycelium, the festival up in Washington at Wilkinson, Washington, August 19th, 20th, and 21st. You can find information on that at Mycelium, at the festival. I am super looking forward to that and sitting in the forest and educating people that are uh, on the same level of regenerative and sustainability as I am and uh, just spending a wonderful, relaxing weekend with a bunch of amazing people. So super looking forward to that and hope to see you guys there. Yay. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Uh, uh, I wanted to quick throw uh, a couple of websites up for you. If you're trying to learn more about our guest today, you can find out more about her at Olympia mycelialnetwork.wordpress.com. Um, they have a, a huge, wonderful uh, website with a ton of resources on there. Um, you can also find her at um, uh, com as well. Um, they have quite a few different things uh, on there, including uh, many different types of mushrooms and other things as well. 
uh, if you're looking to buy, um, you know, different grow kits and uh, mycorrhizae and other fun things for your, your home garden. Um, so thanks a lot for joining us today. I'm uh, really excited to have you and uh, uh, thank you for taking the time to share your knowledge with us today. Hey, thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm excited to hear from you guys too and see you all at the fest, Mycelia at the fest. It's going to be so awesome. Um, so uh, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about um, what it is that you do. Uh, my name's Ava, like avocado, and um, I got into fungi like back in, you know, we've always been interested in fungi, but I really dived into it when um, I lived with Peter McCoy back in 2010 and he was organizing this weird festival called Radical Mycology. Um, so I ended up getting like wrapped into that and helping and organizing that event with him and his roommates and my Elson. And that was so exciting. And, you know, by the end of it, um, we all just decided we needed to spread the mycelium, spread the word, spread the knowledge, get people educated that there seemed to be more stigma than there was excitement about mushrooms. People didn't know about their health benefits. People didn't know about the medicinal benefits, um, the remediation possibilities. And that wasn't even touching the surface of like psilocybin now, which is like uh, about to break the surface of legalization in a lot of places. But so we started the group, the Olympia Mycela Network. Um, me, Peter, Maya, and I believe it was um, Allison who was also involved. And uh, we started the group just to educate people for free and low cost in the Olympia area. We did free workshops all around uh, Olympia at community gardens, at schools. Um, we did them like little rogue ones, gorilla gardens, but mostly we just did public workshops to educate people and then workshops about, you know, growing mushrooms, low tech. Um, and that was something that I did from like 2011 until 2016 um, when I realized I was like growing mushrooms on a pretty large scale and that if I wanted to keep doing it, I should probably start doing it as a profession in a business. So that's when I started my business, Myco Uprisal. And um, I've been doing that ever since and little baby business back then, but now we ship all over the country and um, try to have workshops every year and try to have educational events for people. Very exciting. So the story behind the farm is really interesting too, because we've experienced a lot of um, obstacles in the last couple of years, just like everybody else. Did we, we lose our friend? Yeah, um, he once in a while has internet connection, so he'll be right back. So, so no worries. Um, um, what a whole bunch of stuff that you just touched on that I'd love to to, to talk about. Um, maybe start off first with uh, the story about your farm, and then we can get into maybe some of the different things that maybe people aren't aware of in terms of medicinal properties. I think a lot of people have heard about some of the more um, recreational mushrooms uh, that are out there, but uh, I think a lot of people don't realize how uh, impactful a lot of the medicinal ones can be, not only in their immune system and other things. But uh, I think before we kind of cut to that, I think it might be good to tell to kind of learn the story about your farm because it sounds quite interesting. Oh, thank you. Um, the farm's really interesting. It kind of, um, you know, I was growing the mushrooms since 2011 on a low tech scale, but eventually I started growing them out of a shed in the backyard of a rental on the west side of Olympia. And it was just a little shed and all my mushrooms were in there. 
Um, I started fruiting mushrooms in a, a what's like lovingly called a Martha. It's just an indoor greenhouse with plastic over top of it. Um, and I didn't have very many mushrooms, but I was accepted to a very small local farmer's market. And I started selling um, myceliated lion's mane um, on millet, which is basically what you're buying in supplements most of the places. And I also sold um, fresh mushrooms and mushroom kits there. And that was 2016. Um, and then 2017, I like graduated to a larger farmer's market and I've been there at the Olympia farmer's market ever since um, as my main source of like revenue to people or customers. And then I've got a few wholesale accounts where we sell mushroom dowels and kits um, and we sell online all over the country. Um, but the story about the farm is that we, I brought on a business partner, um, my friend Rascal, who's doing some cool soil work now in 2018, he came on officially and the, I don't know if you know anything about farms or mushroom farms, but because I was in a rental, our house got foreclosed while we were in it and um, we had to move the farm. And so we moved it one place. And then after building an entire laboratory in this person's barn, she told us she had sold the house and we had 30 days to move. So we had like just invested all this money, putting up drywall and making a perfect laboratory. And we had to move everything. And even though we increased the value of her land, it didn't really mean anything. So uh, then I moved to another place, which was a place, ironically, um, that's right nearby that used to be run by an evergreen professor um, named Douglas, who's really famous around here because he got busted for growing a lot of uh, very special mushrooms and he fled the country. And that was a place that I got to live twice. And there was a lot of abandoned mushroom equipment there. So that was the third place that I moved within one year. And then me and my business partner at the time were looking at land and we bought property um, finally, but it took us a long time to close. And we closed like in Chris around Christmas time. But then six months after we bought the property, the farmhouse on the property burned to the ground with uh, everything that I own in it. And a lot of like my mushroom, like office stuff and farmer's market stuff. Luckily the laboratory was saved and like all of my cultures were fine, um, but it was really devastating. And it was like, right after we thought we had gotten this break, we were able to like grow the mushroom business. Um, at the time, like I was one of the number one kit suppliers. You would like Google mushroom kit and my Etsy store would come up like number one every time. It's really fun. Um, but then basically having the house burned down, which was like extremely traumatic and um, just has taken a long time to recover. We started rebuilding a house. And so for the last four years, um, we have been rebuilding a stick build house on that land where that um, building was. And um, around in 2020, which was pandemic year, um, Rascal ended up leaving the business and he went to move in with his partner and they're starting like land and like a project down south. And so um, in the middle of the pandemic year, which was like shortly after my lover had died in 2019, um, you know, I lost my business partner. We were all like in our houses. Mushroom business was actually booming during that time because it was considered an essential business. And so I, ha I made the highest sales. I like higher than Christmas, March, 2020. Um, which was really great, incredible, and it gave me hope. But because of all these things that had happened, I was like still living winters outside in 
Olympia. Um, I was recovering from like the tragedy of my house burning down, my partner dying, my business partner leaving me. Um, I didn't really have the emotional energy, social energy to invest in my business or grow it at all. And so during a time when mushrooms were kind of trending, like peak trending, I was not able to invest and grow my business at all. But the really cool thing about how successful and like important and cool mushrooms are is that it, it kind of uh, supported itself. The business never suffered, even though I suffered. <laughs> um, the business like is still kicking it and doing great and basically has been holding it down for me in some ways. Um, just like kind of waiting for me to get back on the horse and put all this money into it. And um, now the house is done. I live in a house for the first time in four years and um, things are like starting to stabilize and I've got like some money that um, some investors want to throw at me, which is like cool. I just have to like get all my ducks in a row and grow. <laughs> so that's, I think the story of the farm. Well, it sounds like you've had quite the journey. I'm sorry to hear about your partner. I myself have lost a fiance, so I definitely know what it's like to go through losing someone on that level. And I certainly can feel for you quite a bit. Um, you also touched on that. It sounds like you're doing quite a few different types of, uh, of mushroom growing and things like that as well. Do you have, a, is there a lot of variation for people that aren't aware between the different mushroom species in terms of uh, uh, how you go about cultivating them? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. We, um, so I can just kind of like touch on the diversity of species that we grow and like what different growing environments they like require. That would, that would be wonderful. Um, most of our, we don't really grow any like dung loving mushrooms. Um, primarily I've steered away from the fun mushrooms just because I do grow a variety of culinary mushrooms and have my fair share of paranoia. So I've just sort of avoided that altogether. Um, one day I'd like to maybe do spore work and, and like be able to provide different spore things, but I think I'm going to wait until like the licensing has changed. Um, overall, the mushrooms that we grow are um, hardwood loving species. We do like a lot of polypores. We do reishi, turkey tail. For a while we did, um, I think it's called Remedes betulina, and I think it changed names recently. We've done chicken of the woods. We do maitake. Um, what's an interesting, another interesting polypore we do. Oh, I, I collect different types of reishis. We have Ganoderma suge, Ganoderma oregonense is a really cool mushroom that is local to here that we recently fruited on alder, which was really exciting and it fruited really beautifully too. So we do now sell that kit. Um, and all of those do great on a variety of hardwoods. We primarily work with alder and oak, but I do like try to mix things up for them and give them maple. Um, or birch or different hardwoods because um, mushrooms get bored if you feed them the same thing over and over again. Um, some other things that I'd like to get better at growing that I'm not very good at growing are like king oyster, piopino. Um, those two really love like casing layers or are said to like casing layers and I um, haven't really done a great job at growing them because I think of the, it's that extra step or something. <laughs> but um, we do a variety of oysters also, pearl oyster, pink oyster, shiitake, uh, phoenix oysters, blue oysters. Um, I really want to start the nebradensis, but our strain or culture that we had wasn't very good. And um, I forget what the common name of that oyster is, but it's a really giant, delicious oyster. Maybe it's the mil milky oyster. 
Um, but what else do we do? We just recently fruited enoki. The shimejis are really fun. The um, which are like the hypsozygous tessellatus or different types of tessellatus, gray tessellatus, the turtle shell and the white ones. Um, those ones do really well in like long cylindrical bags. They like to fruit out of little tiny jars and it's more about like the area that they fruit in. Some mushrooms like really low humidity. Some love it really high. That's why um, my taki is really difficult to grow. They love really, really high humidity and they like it pretty cold. And they might actually want like a cold snap and like a warm environment um from the people who i know who successfully cultivate that in like a domestic setting it's like one of the only things they cultivate um or they like devote an entire room to that lion's mane which is obviously very popular right now is actually a lot easier to grow than i initially thought it was and i think that has to do with um I wasn't sterilizing my substrate as high as I am now. And now that I'm sterilizing it at a higher temperature, it's actually pretty easy to grow. Um, they do have a tendency if you don't sterilize your substrate high enough to fruit prematurely, which makes for very small mushroom babies and a lot of contamination. Um, overall, lion's mane loves maple and oak and they also thrive on um, alder. We are trying to like increase our supplement but um, really high supplemented grains need to be sterilized. They're really high temperature. Um, and we pasteurize everything like up to 210 right now. And so we do like a little bit of grains and that does pretty well. And then we do a lot of bran in the mixture of our substrates. So. Um, Is there a reason not to go too high uh, other than like, obviously if you're doing something like millet, blowing up your millet grains. Um, but other than that, is there any other reason why, you know, maybe doing it slightly higher than recommended would be a bad thing? It's something that I've definitely done my fair share of, uh, of mushroom growing over the years. We've talked about that previously on the show, but I've never, other than just not trying to, you know, popcorn your, your grain, I've never noticed any type of negative. Is there something else that I'm missing that you can inform us on? Um, some mushrooms like bacteria and microbes, um, not a whole lot of them. I know that my experience growing Stropharia has been kind of a struggle lately, the Stropharia rugosa annulata, because um, they don't like sterilized sawdust. I'm pretty sure they thrive on microbes. Um, and it could be our strain. The strain is like a really powerful high fruiting strain, but it doesn't um, create really thick, like rhizomorphic mycelium in sterilized in sterilized sawdust bags. It does that outside and in the garden. Um, other than that. I've noticed that with um, King Shafaria too, in when we've grown it in dual roots on aquaponic pots, um, it seems to just thrive in that, that environment much more than it does in the soil beds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the soil is like a little bit more sterile or something. Well, and both of them are soil, but one of them has access to the water and one of them doesn't, you know, more microbial species, I guess in general. Yeah, microbial cereal. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to, to add on to what you were saying. Yeah, I don't, I think that there might be other reasons. Um, yeah, other than like the blowing up of the, of the grains. Um, there's also the caramelizing of sugars. And I think that some mushrooms like caramelized sugars and some don't um obviously oysters are always really easy going they'll just about eat anything even caramelized sugars 
but sometimes with those um, medicinal strains, the polypores, the lion's mane, anything that's a little more sensitive, Piopino, Agrasabi, um, King Oyster, all of those I think are gonna react a little negatively to like an overcooked sugar, um, but they wouldn't like, I don't think they would react negatively to sterilized substrate or they don't, but you can definitely overcook something um, but that's not a problem we have, our, ours stay pretty low. We do cook things in pressure cookers from time to time. Um, we do like our cordyceps runs in there and um, we do, you know, I make supplemented grains sometimes and add them to my fruit bodies. So, yeah. Are you just steam sterilizing the rest of the media or are you just not uh, pasteurizing it differently than that? Yeah, it's steam. Um, and yeah, it gets up to like 210 and I'm working on, either buying a different type of sterilizer or I'm potentially inheriting one soon. So that one's, that's pretty exciting. And um, I've looked at these like really large sterilizers, these 18 foot autoclaves. And um, I don't know if I'm like at the scale to be able to use that. I would love to be at the scale to use that, but um, you know, I think it's like a fire. You want to feed it little by little. You don't want to just throw a pallet on your tiny little two inch fire. <laughs> I've noticed, as you, especially when you get to commercial scaling, you're always better off having extra um, extra units when you're doing that rather than having one large unit. Because if something go, does go wrong, at least you still got part of your production still limping along, even if it's not 100%, rather than being you know dead in the yeah. water. Yeah, something about all your eggs in one basket or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what are some of the different medicinal... Um, uh, properties that you're finding with the different mushrooms. I think a lot of people haven't heard about that. I know uh, for me, especially once I got COVID coming off of COVID taking um, the, the cordyceps and lion's mane and some of the other ones were helping with my memory to come back and some of the other memory, uh, short-term memory loss issues um, that I was struggling with until I fully recovered um, seems to be a big thing uh, that a lot of people are finding relief in. And they're certainly seeing the sales side of it and demand side of it is just skyrocketed post COVID. Um, and because of how many people finding relief uh, with their various issues from these things. Um, what are some of the other things that you've uh, found that uh, other people have had a, a lot of good luck with in terms of um, beneficial effects and other things that people use those different things with because you, you're such a big expert on so many different species? Absolutely. Thanks for um, asking this question. This is a good pop quiz for like my up-to-date knowledge. Um, one really cool thing about mushrooms trending is that there are more and more like up-to-date current studies coming out, double blinds, really nice um, information that's being put out about mushrooms you wouldn't likely imagine that there's uh, medicinal benefits in. At the farmer's market, I avoid saying the M word just because I'm considered a farmer and uh, the FDA differentiates between pharmacists and farmers. And one way that I go around that, it's like, I like to talk about what people use them for. And then um, the other way that I kind of like work around that is like, I'll tell people what things are being studied for. Um, and the other thing I can tell you is what my customers have come up to my booth and told me they're taking it for what they've seen like benefits in, which is a really cool part about selling mushrooms on an everyday basis is someone comes up to me and they say, you know, I have felt completely different ever since I've started taking lion's mane. My brain fog is lifted. You know, people come up to my booth and they point to the mushrooms and they say, this mushroom is amazing. You should take it for your memory. You know, they want to share it with their friends. They want everybody to feel as good as they do. Um, what was something recently that I thought was really cool? 
Uh, turkey tail is like an interesting one that like recently people tell me they use it for digestion or irritable bowel syndrome, which is like something that you wouldn't necessarily think of. Um, one of the, uh, heard, hmm? I said on turkey tails, one of the main cancer drugs that's produced in the United States is derived from that mushroom. Is it really? Is that a new thing? Yeah. No, no. It's going back quite a few years. Okay. Is it the Crestin that they're extracting? Uh, I, I don't know the name of the compound. I, all I know is, is that it's derived from that. I don't know the, the compound or anything. They have been extracting something called Crestin uh, for a long time from turkey tail, at least in the Chinese and um, Western, Eastern countries. So um, it has been widely known for a long time in other countries and prescribed by practitioners in other countries that don't have a medical um, financial industry, a medical what do you call that? Where you're profiting off of death? Anyway. Um, insurance companies. Mm-hmm, insurance companies. <laughs> so yeah, turkey tail is a really cool one. People take it to support their kidneys. People are taking it um, to stimulate what's called apoptosis. And I can uh, go into what that is if you're not familiar. Apoptosis is known as cell death. And so in a cancer cell or tumor, um, what is happening is you have all these cells that are growing and they're replicating and they are doing a really good job at one thing, which is being alive. And they're doing a really bad job at another thing, which is dying. And so all the cells in our body naturally die and expire over a period of time. And so that's what makes a cancer cell different is that it's not dying. It's accumulating um, and growing. And that is apparently so dangerous that it is killing people at absorbent rates. Um, and so apoptosis is the natural um, natural cell death. And um, taking turkey tail and tea or tincture is what people are doing. And they're finding that it's stimulating this natural cell function and helping tumors go into remission, get smaller. Um, and people are taking it in conjunct with chemotherapy um, you know, if you're like in a dying situation or being threatened by a life threatening thing, most people are going to do all the different avenues possible. They're not just going to choose one. There are, there are those like special types of people who choose to do all natural all the way. And they're like, I'm not going into a hospital. I'm going to take all of the mushrooms. I don't want a doctor to touch me, which is fine. It's like to each their own. Um, so that's what apoptosis is. <laughs> Oh yeah, and THC is also another uh, well-known compound for causing apoptosis, as is uh, many other cannabinoids. Actually, depending on which type of uh, cell that you're talking about, that's uh, you know miswired and is doing something it's not supposed to. There's many different things that they're finding THCV and CBD and other compounds in the cannabinoid range are, are helping with many different types of diseases. Uh, down this space, uh, not just cancer, but many other things. And again, we're not making any claims in terms of medicine. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll add that disclaimer in again. Um, uh, we aren't doctors. We don't have uh, any of that stuff. Uh, my sister is, but uh, I myself am not. But we do uh, have a lot of experience working with different patients at different levels um, with many of these different medicines. So uh, many different people have found that their uh, people that they're working with have had a lot of good positive results. Uh, with many of these different things. So uh, I figured we'd throw that in there. Um, um, uh, how are people consuming these? Are they taking them raw? Are they cooking them? Are they taking them in a capsule form or a powder, like a protein powder? I know there's many different ways that, that people ingest this type of stuff. And what have you, 
what are uh, what ways do you recommend or what ways do you see that other people are using and they're having positive experiences with? Um, so I would research each in individual mushroom and kind of like look it up. Um, what one thing that I've noticed is with those harder polypores like turkey tail, reishi, um, anything that's got like a really thick lignin to it or a really thick hardy shell, those ones need to be processed at high heat, um, either like a, a broth. Um, some people do tinctures um, specifically for things like reishi, um, the combination of fruit bodies and the spores are really important. Um, there's a really high uh, amount of triterpenes in the spores. So depending what you're trying to get out of the reishi, you probably want a sporulating fruit body. If you don't need that, then, you know, the antlers are widely available, but that's something to keep in mind. Um, and then, but with the, the softer mushrooms, with softer mushroom tissues, um, say like oysters, say cordyceps, lion's mane, enoki even, like for a long time, people were saying that enoki, you should eat it raw. Um, I think a lot of uh, professional mushroom growers or mycologists um, are now encouraging people to at least like vinegar brine their mushrooms, um, cook them somehow, marinate them in lime juice. Um, you know, mycologists will always be weird. They'll always want to drink the enzymes or the exudate, and they'll always want to eat the live edge of a reishi um, because it looks beautiful and delicious. Bears do it, so why not? But the reason why not is because living mushroom tissue inside of a body of a person who's immunocompromised can be very, um, have a really negative reaction. And so as a professional, um, I do recommend like cooking or preparing mushrooms in some way, but those really soft tissued mushrooms like lion's mane and cordyceps, um, some um, people are finding have a higher constituent, sorry, constituent extraction with cold extractions. So cold extractions would be like a vinegar base, um, lime, lemon, maybe tincture. Uh, tincture is a cold extraction, but maybe not as high of a proof of alcohol as we thought. Um, a lot of the hair scenes that are in lion's mane are considered to be like proteins. So um, people posit that like you don't want to break down the proteins under too high of heat because you might be losing a lot of the value. So dehydrating them on low heat. Um, but those are most of the ways that I know about extracting them. A lot of people are getting really into soxalate extractions. I haven't gone down that exciting route, but that seems like a really fun one also. Can you, can you explain that to people that might not know what that is? Oh, a soxlet? I don't know that I can. Um, I've seen them so many times. So basically you're heating up the alcohol so high, you're putting the substance into the alcohol and then you're boiling the substance and then there's like uh, the vapors rise so that the alcohol comes out and then it extracts just the alcohol from that heat extraction i think is okay so they're doing an alcohol extraction and they're fractioning out the vapor is what they're doing don't quote me on that okay that's fine i'll have to look that up it's, i'm just not familiar with that word so um but it sounds yeah, like they're just doing an alcohol extraction fractioning it uh, it's a going. quick alcohol extraction um okay. over like most people's tinctures are like four to six weeks old six to eight weeks old soxalate is like couple hours later okay that makes sense cool um uh what um what other types of methods do people take as, as far as the different things uh... 
Oh, um, I mean, people are taking capsules. Obviously, microdosing is getting really um, popular. And um, I'll talk about that a little bit just because it, I don't want to like leave anything out. Depending on your state or your county, you know, legalization is kind of... Um, Okay, nothing's legal yet, but things are decriminalized. I think that in Portland or Oregon, it is legal to get a prescription. And then in California, they have different licensing right now. I think it's like legal on a state level, so don't go into national forests. Um, it's the same as weed at that point for different things. I think in uh, Washington, we're a little bit further behind as far as legalization because it's decriminalized. So you can still be caught like after you're caught with it two times, you can get a misdemeanor. And so if you already have previous drug charges, it's like not very helpful. Um, but uh, decriminalization is on the way. And so like if you're trying to say, for example, address brain fog from COVID, right? So you can, um, my favorite two combinations are cordyceps and lion's mane. And so I've made supplements with cordyceps fruit bodies and lion's mane fruit bodies. And I found those to be really beneficial for me. The cordyceps um, has a bunch of really amazing compounds in it. Um, some that's uh, basically mimic ATP. Uh, so that is the, the thing in our body that helps our mitochondria make energy. And so that's why people express that they have uh, a lot of energy after consuming cordyceps. So the combination of the cordyceps, the energy inducing mushroom and the lion's mane, which is um, basically being researched right now as a nutritive for any sort of nervous system disorder or just used as a nutritive for your nervous system, hashtag focus. People really wanna associate it and affiliate it with like this natural ADHD thing. Um, which if you use it in the right way, hey, why not? So those two in combination are one of my favorite um, supplements to take. And then if you are experiencing like really severe brain fog um, or depression, some people might mix those two with um, the psilocybin. And then there's a bunch of different nutrients or like there's a bunch of different supplements that people wanna throw in there as well. I forget what the, the stack something includes, but there's a, what is it like? Thiamine, something, B vitamins, et cetera, et cetera. I think so a lot of people don't, are great. I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of these mushrooms too are making their own MAOIs and other things that can synergize with some of their other medicines, which often really isn't talked about and wasn't even well known until the last couple of years. Um, and it is kind of interesting to see how many different compounds are in there, uh, you know, just like you're saying. Absolutely. That's why I need to like stay up to date on researching all the latest like studies. Too bad I'm too busy running a business. Oh, yeah, man. The, the, uh, the downside of being in this business is uh, you have to work in it too. <laughs> oh yeah. I need to stay up to date on all this stuff and research because I'm talking like I talk like 10 to 20 minutes every time a new person steps up to my booth. It's like a, a rerun of the same show over and over again. So maybe if I learn some new information, I'll get to say some new words to each person. <laughs> um, I, you also touched earlier on the triterpenes and a lot of people don't realize how much synergy there is between 
um, medicinal mushroom medicine and cannabis medicine, especially when it comes to trying to hyper boost your immune system against some, you know, some of the different things that people run into is as challenging as uh, some of the stuff that we've mentioned earlier. Um, you know, uh, a lot of those different triterpenes can allow other medicines to get in there and, and work a little bit more efficiently or a little bit better, depending on what type of uh, treatments you're going about and, and what kind of issues you have. So uh, definitely is a big aspect that you don't hear talked about anywhere near enough uh, until maybe just recently. I can't wait until they put more money into studying each mushroom individually for these health benefits. Because what do we know about turkey tail spores right now? Not very much. How many triterpenes are in those? We don't know. You know, there's this mushroom that I've gotten really excited about lately um, called the tiger sawgill. I don't know if you guys have heard of that one. Um, it's related to shiitake. It's Lentinus tigrinus. And shiitake is known to be an extremely um, good for you mushroom. You know, there's lots of studies about that. People use that for tumors also. People use it for viral suppression. But this really delicious edible mushroom that's like not widely talked about um, Lentinus tigrinus related to shiitake, who's studied that mushroom? Like what health benefits does it have? We don't know. There's a lot of understudied mushrooms that could be really amazing. Yeah, yeah that's the one. It's so cute. I love it and it's so tasty. Thank you, mushroom expert. Let's see what it says. Inedible, no, just kidding. Lenzides betulina, is it? It's super tasty. The stems are really woody. Um, so when I tell people how to cook them up, I tell them to chop off the stems and powder them and use them as like a, a spice. And then the top of it, you just kind of saute like a regular mushroom, super flavorful. Sorry, I didn't realize I was on mute. I was talking there uh, and didn't realize it. Uh -oh. um, there was a, a species of Clitocobe, um, or I might be mispronouncing it, Clitocybe, uh, however it is that they uh, pronounce that, Psilocybe. Clitocybe. Clitocybe. Thank you, oh. Clitocybe. There's a species of snowbank Clitocybe uh, that grows in Colorado called uh, Clitocybe glacius, and we thought we were picking that. <laughs> for years and we ate it and it was quite tasty. One of our like top five mushrooms that we'd pick up in Colorado and we took it down, we picked it and took it down to the mushroom survey one year. And they're like, this is not what you thought it was. <laughs> it was some whole other species of catosophy that no one had ever documented as edible. And we're like, they're great. <laughs> oh my God. That was fun. Really funny. Um, but it gets a little safer once you get above about 6,000 feet uh, in altitude because there's only so many mushrooms that grow up there. But, uh, but yeah, definitely a, a fun thing that I've run into with, uh, you know, something that maybe less forage. The other one, I think a lot of people that don't eat uh, enough of and honest to God is one of the tastiest ones. And people seem to just skip over it all the time in the West is um, uh, Mete Jacks. They're related to Slippery Jacks. And they're, they blend into the ground a little bit more. People generally don't consider them as a choice edible, but man, are they one of the best. The Slippery Jacks are interesting. I have heard of people having reactions to them, like a small percentage. Um, but I always wonder, you know, there's a lot of things that can go into having reactions. Um, so you always got to wonder, like, if they're picking it 
from cedar roots or like where they're picking it or if they like just misidentified something but the slippery jacks um some people don't find them to be choice because they are like slimy when you cook them but one of the best recipes with those is uh, slicing them up dehydrating them and making uh, a powder so that you can thicken your soup with them like your leek soup potato soup and they're so flavorful so they can make like a really thick creamy soup And out here in like um, Washington, you know, we don't have the as much of a risk of running into the Satan's bolete, so it's pretty safe. At least that one's nice and red and easy to tell apart from the others, you know. Ours is pretty yellow up here. It's oh, like okay. more orange on the top. Very cool. But there's probably a huge variety of bolets. I'm not uh, anywhere near a bolete expert, so. Thankfully, none of the bullets will kill you, at least none of, the, none of North America, so. <laughs> what? There's the Satan's bullet. That one will kill you. Oh, yeah, but none of the ones that you'd easily mistake. Let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, getting to know the really poisonous mushrooms is kind of like a great first thing to do as a beginner mushroom hunter. Because then at least you can identify the ones that will make you go to sleep forever. And you'll be a little bit closer to not dying. Biggest thing is just avoiding little L LBMs. And then uh, once you know what a death angel is, and avoiding those. That covers at least a large percentage of the North American ones. Um, yeah. the, uh, uh, the other good rule of thumb with your, if you're just uh, an, uh, uh, someone just learning mycology is uh, if it's spicy or peppery, it's probably not okay to eat. In general, most of the poisonous mushrooms uh, or it's very common for many of the poisonous mushrooms to have a spicier, peppery a taste. And for instance, um, if you're out um, picking rusula mushrooms, uh, the red rusula is the wine caps. Um, you can easily mistake those with one called the sickener. They're almost identical in color. They're the same same genus. Uh, they're very easy to mistake. Um, but if you taste them, even in ones that look almost identical, if you taste them, the sickener is peppery and the uh, uh, wine cap is not. So it's an easy way. Um, in fact, I had some old Eastern European ladies uh, that were over 70 uh, years old plus um, teach me that up in a foray up in Colorado. And they're like, no, you can eat all the red Russian. You just take a little bite of each one and taste it first. And I was like, oh, OK, that's a pretty cool trick. Um, but they were totally right. Like I've never gotten sick off of that. So definitely uh, there's lots of different weird stuff with mushrooms. The other thing I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed this too with mushroom hunting, I call it is the cheat sheet. So if you're out doing forays is you get your digital meat thermometer and you're, if you're looking for soil mushrooms, um, you look for the rain shadow off the radar. So where it's rained in the last three to five days is where you want to go. Uh, so once you've determined those areas, then you want to take your um, uh, meat digital meat thermometer and stick it in the ground about two to three inches into the ground. And you can test the temperature where that mycelium is. And each one has a very specific fruiting temperature that they cue in on in your local area for each species. So once you once you find those mushrooms, survey right where that area is or even right where that stump of the previous mushroom was to get that that fruiting body temperature uh, and then you can actually use that to tell if you're early or late in a given area and then move on to an area that might be more productive and nothing in all of my my mushroom hunting practices has allowed me to save time and and be more productive than that one particular trick it's like you're testing for the ovulation of the soil basically yeah <sighs> Oh man. It works really, really, really well. Um, 
So what have you found or maybe some of the other interesting things with the different mushrooms? You grow so many different cool species and have so many wonderful kits on your website. In fact, let me throw that back up here because you really do have a lot of great stuff available on here. Um, they have all different types of stuff. Phoenix, uh, oysters, chicken of the woods, which is really good. And often one, a lot of people that are allergic to mushrooms actually aren't allergic to a chicken of the woods. In fact, I have a friend of mine that's uh, not allergic to that, but allergic to many of the agaricuses uh, that you typically purchase at the store, the portobellos and stuff. So um, allergies are so interesting too. I wonder if like people are actually allergic to the herbicides and not actually the mushroom because so many different agaricuses are grown with herbicides. But I didn't yeah, know the chicken of the woods is something that we offer in dowels, but um, we don't offer it in kits right now. I might sell it in kits one day. Um, this store right here is not our current listings. It's our uh, about to be released store, but right now we sell on Etsy. And if you go to our Etsy store, we also have um, mushroom thongs. We did have a mushroom thong calendar last year and the year before. Um, I haven't decided if we're doing one this year, but um, a byproduct of that is mushroom themed thongs. So, and there's there's some for boys and girls, um, people with penises and people without. So, but the chicken of the woods, I have seen that people have fruited that one on kits. Um, I don't like feel good about selling things that don't fruit. Um, but I wonder if they used like a variety of pine or something and like really intense hardwoods. There we go. Nice. Yeah, all, kinds of, all kinds of mushrooms, uh, mushroom starts, mushroom underwear, mushroom masks. We got a good deal on bulk dowels too. It's like $44.95 for a thousand dowels if you're going to cut down a bunch of logs. The chestnut's super tasty. The Namiko's a good um, garden variety. Our reishi strains are all unique right now. They're all our personal strains that we um, cultured and they're really, really vigorous right now. I'd recommend those, those are fun. Um, and then we do have a Phoenix oyster that grows on Douglas fir, if you're trying to grow things on Douglas fir. And then we do Petri dishes to order. So it takes a couple of weeks because we do them fresh for you. Very cool. Good to know that they come uh, fresh as can be. Mm -hmm. Awesome. There you go. Definitely got tons of awesome stuff. I think it's the first time we featured underwear on our show, so that's definitely cool. Well, <laughs> I'm not pressuring you to wear underwear, but if you want to, you can do it in style. So it's up to you. I'm sorry the underwear is not made of mushrooms, but maybe that's like a next year kind of thing when we venture into micro mycofabrics. Kind of wondering how much you really would want a mushroom-based fabric in a place that's warm and moist, and you know, maybe not <laughs> end up fruiting your mushrooms down there. It might not be the best thing. Keep it there. <laughs> oh, so maybe true. it's like a short-term thing. Oh, totally. Maybe it's like that. an edible underwear, and it's like not supposed to be there very long. Like, like, like it's mushroom. Like a new form of microdosing. There you go, mushroom jerky underwear. Now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> be down there for a while chewing you're the underwear obviously <laughs> um what so tell us a little bit more about um the olympia mycelial network as well uh, uh you put a lot of energy into that and and um people uh, uh can certainly get a lot of uh benefit from that as well um what uh do they have meetings or what is the different uh, various things that they have going on 
Well, um, the Olympia Mycelial Network is kind of merged into this thing that has a couple events a year. Um, obviously, I can't put a ton of time and energy into that um, because of running the business. But if you look at the website, uh, friendsandfungi.com, I don't know if that's up yet, actually. There's an Instagram, which is friendsandfungi. And one of the offshoots of the Olympia Mycelial Network is an, a new event organization called Friends and Fungi, which is putting on something called the, uh, the Fungi Symposium, which is October 21st to the 23rd. Alan Rockefeller is going to be there, um, Maya Ellison, Daniel Winkler, Larry Evans, Graham Steinrock, Rishi Strauss. Um, but all of those people have been like at featured events that, that we have done over the last 10 years. We go on walks and forays like two to three in the fall. And then we like have done DNA sequencing things with um, Craig Tressler, um, William Padilla Brown. Cass has come out, she's done talks at the farm. Uh, all that is like kind of started by the Olympia Mycelial Network. And I'm trying to like get my time organized so I can keep organizing events like this, like little log plugging workshops with kids. Uh, we did a really cool event with like a class of homeschoolers this summer that they like asked me to do and so we like inoculated some straw bags and did like a little tiny foray um but just trying to keep like mushrooms accessible um yeah the olympia mycelia network luckily over the last 10 years has never like turned into a professional organization it's not like a llc it's not like a 501 it's just like this group that exists um but it's similar to like other mushroom clubs where when we were starting it, we did meet like on a regular basis about once a month and we were doing remediation things. We did some remediation at the co-op um, with this person who was doing wastewater treatment with um, mushroom bags and we'd sent off a few stuff to be tested. Oh, and the other group that um, I had mentioned to you all that started because one of my employees started this group with um, someone who used to work for Fungi Perfecti. They started metamimicry. And this came out of like five of us meeting on a regular basis to talk about um, salmon and the six PPD quinones. And so if you know anything about the six PPD quinones, it's a waste product of tire um, preservatives. And so this is coming off of tires and going into the wastewater and is directly linked to salmon die off. Um, and so, Metamimicry is a group that formed, is a 501c3, does have, I think, some fundraising event coming up, and they have already been funded once to do one test on how mycelium impacts the decomposition of six PPD quinones. Um, and the hard thing about that um, um, test is that it's really hard to do controlled studies with water, moving water. And so when you have like the rate of water affecting your test, um, whether or not there's any obvious results, it's hard to know because the mushrooms are partially chelating the substance. Um, they're going through the substance. Um, and so like and you're testing like a rate of flow. So even when you try to get, I don't know, there's just like so many different things that go into it. But um, the two people that run it, one of them has like a really strong background in chemistry and 
the other person has a really um, long history of fungi perfecti, so the com their combined knowledge has been really cool to watch that group evolve. And now they're focusing on putting in a community laboratory um, at a location for the Duwamish tribe here in Washington. Um, but that's been really cool to watch the evolution and in, in their different um, connections they're making. Linden trees. Is that your question? We had, yeah, we had someone from chat ask, and uh, I got some freshly cut linden tree logs outside. Are they of any value for mushroom production? Um, I got to look up a linden tree. Does it have any antifungal constituents? Is it a conifer? I've never heard of a linden tree before, I'll be honest with you. So you don't even know what it is? Uh, it looks like it's a deciduous tree. You know, it looks like it could work. I just Google these things. Uh, seems like you're out in the Midwest somewhere. Is that where your linden tree is from? I already forgot. Let me, uh, uh... I, I mean, it looks kind really of like a dogwood. So, ooh, maybe it's a species of alder. 12 species of alder. No, no, no. Well, if it's a deciduous hardwood that doesn't have any antifungal qualities, yes, I would recommend growing mushrooms on it. There are some deciduous trees like walnut, which is very antifungal, probably won't grow anything. There's even fewer deciduous trees that would poison you. So something like madrona or rhododendron um, could potentially be poisonous. I don't think it would poison you and the mushroom. I don't, just don't think the mushroom would grow. But some people have reported um, feeling sick from consuming chicken of the woods that grew off of cedar. And I think that that's because some of the oils do uh, remain in the mushroom you know, it's interesting, the aspen beletes solely from certain parts of Colorado are like that too, even though the scabers are traditionally one of the better edibles in the West, um, just in this one part of Colorado, there's something else going on chemistry-wise that's making them you know, cause a percentage of people. I can eat them fine, but I've had roommates that can't, you know, mm -hmm. and it's just weird that, you know, we can eat the same thing and there's something in it that's, you know, not agreeing with them, so. Rascal used to say that some people just hadn't developed their um, chitinase enzyme to break down chitin in their stomach, which is maybe why they can't eat raw mushrooms and why some people can and some people get really sick. Um, I don't necessarily have any strong evidence to confirm or deny that, um, but it sounds like an interesting theory. Well, I certainly think if you're, you're eating your liquid IMO or drinking your liquid IMO on a regular basis uh, or lactobacillus, even uh, labs or yogurt or whatever else that uh, you, you consume it, it's certainly going to have a better time. I noticed I'm a glutard and, and even taking that stuff has helped me with a lot of that in terms of the severity of the reaction. I still have a reaction, but it's nowhere near what it used to be. So. Nice. I'm also a glutard. <laughs> I was like saying that, especially to the restaurant staff, because then they kind of laugh at you and they can feel like, okay, making fun of you. And they're not so mad about having to do all the extra stuff. <laughs> yeah. They really don't like it when you're like, hey, can you make my food? But like without all this stuff that you normally make it with. And then you're just like, I'm a glutard. And then they're like, oh, okay. 
Do you have any advice for people that want to get started with their own um, mycological journey? You know, what's a good way for them? You know, you have so much good resources on your website and so many good ways for people to kind of get the needs, the means they need to get started. Um, uh, how would people um, get started on their own home grow? You know, if they wanted to get the mason jars and the, you know, spawn and all the rest to get started along with one of your kits, how would they go about doing all that stuff? Um, well, pardon me as I like fight off mosquitoes a little bit, but, um, you know, whatever is easiest for you. If you have a bunch of um, mill cartons, plastic bags, if you have jars, mason jars, you can really grow mushrooms out of anything. Um, you can go hard to begin with, or you can go easy. So like for someone who's like curious, but doesn't really know where to start, I recommend people um, just get a mushroom kit. There's like a whole bunch of mushroom kits out there. Slice a hole in the bag, watch the mushroom grow from start to finish. You're getting to know a mushroom and you're like seeing what it looks like when it grows, when it's healthy and when it decomposes. Getting to know your mushroom is an important part of just like understanding fungal life. And I think one thing that I hear really commonly with my customers and people is that they just have this tendency to want to compare mushrooms to plants. You know, they ask, are these seeds? Is this the root? And it's like, well, it's similar, but they're not seeds. Like people really want the mushroom dowels to be seeds and they want to be able to plant one per log. And it's like, well, I mean, there's like a small percent of chance that that's going to work, but realistically, it's probably not. Um, so getting to know a mushroom and what it's doing is I think a really important first step and just getting a mushroom kit and watching it grow, whether it's your favorite mushroom or whether it's the easiest one. Um, I think watching a mushroom die is just as important as watching it fruit because you're getting to know like what that life cycle looks like. I hope the dogs got out okay. <laughs> But um, when I started growing mushrooms, you know, I like to tell people who like come to my booth, I was very bad at growing mushrooms when I started. I remember trying to grow uh, mushrooms out of like a little quart bag and we were growing it on straw and sawdust. And I remember like my mushroom had like the tiniest little fruit body. It was like one centimeter and I was so excited. And I was like, I just like got real sad when it never got any bigger. <laughs> but that was my first time growing mushrooms. And um, now I do it like for a living. So it's just getting used to them and getting to know them. Um, later on, you know, I found that, well, you're gonna have to um, sterilize your substrate if you want the mushrooms to grow. Cause there's like so many different types of um, mushrooms just like in the air, there's spores and bacteria. So you're fighting with like natural existing mushrooms to get your mushroom to grow. Um, just like you do in a garden. There's like weeds all over the place. And you don't like, when you give someone like seeds at a store to grow broccoli, you like expect them not to eat the weeds in their garden just to like know what those look like. But it, we don't have the same type of forgiveness with mushrooms because if you give someone dowels and they grow mushrooms on their mushroom log, but then they eat like something that grows out of their log thinking that everything that grows out of that log is going to be edible you know there's just like if you get a log from the wild there's likely going to be other mushrooms that are growing in it so identify your mushrooms the same way you would identify your broccoli in your garden before you ate it you know well absolutely and um 
There's so many interesting things that people are finding now. Uh, I mean, we used to think that brassicas weren't uh, mycorrhizal associative until there was a paper out recently about but if you introduce trichoderma, a bacteria, um, it allows them to be colonized by mycorrhizae. So even the, the balance of having you know some bacteria and mycorrhizae in that ratio is also important to your soil and why it's so important to focus on the 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 health of not only of your bacteria but your fungi and everything else in your soil in their, in their own ratio. So. Um, have you tried growing any of the King Strafaria or any of the other ones along with plant material, or have you all just strictly done the mushroom side of production? Um, I grow mushroom. I grow Strafaria out in my garden. They basically love every sort of bacteria and every sort of decomposing thing. Um, I've had people like have a Strafaria patch and they actually threw their compost on it and it continued to grow, which I find to be pretty amazing. Um, I have a really large Strafaria patch under my blueberries. Um, they fruited this year on like the 95 degree day because I was watering my garden and they fruited like right underneath the watering spout this year uh, during a heat wave. And so I was like, all right, buddies, they basically do whatever they want. They move all the way around the garden. Um, they fruit near the chickens, they fruit under the apple trees. Um, they really are like the soil builders. I've had them all over the place. And like now that it's like three to four years into growing them, they like show up in really weird places where I'm like, did I even put this here? You know, some people, they, um, as long as you have like wood chips all over your garden, every time you pick your stepharia, you should just like cut that stem bud off and take it and put it into another like little area in your garden. Just keep replanting those stem butts and like they grow, they move all over. Um, it's an easy one to identify once you get to know it. It's really funny that they grow all over my yard and I don't have any in bags to sell to people. <laughs> uh, the other thing I like to do is, um, for those of you that are, are active into mushroom hunting and haven't learned this trick yet, uh, go get some diving bags. Diving bags are this wonderful open mesh material uh, to keep the water out and allows the spores to fall off your caps when you're out mushroom hunting. And uh, there's a couple of areas that I used to harvest in Colorado over the course of five years. We went from just starting to find some chanterelles and lobster mushrooms and porcinis to finding just you almost can't not trip over them after a couple of years because we had just gone in the same little track and, and made sure we dumped them over the area with the old caps. If you find old caps in the forest, take them, put them in a bag like that and just shake them along an area with the same type of trees or, or, uh, or forests that, that, that you're finding them and you'll be able to spread them and you can kind of cultivate them and, and, and you know, spread them around in your, your local forest and, and come back each year. And if you're smart about it, you can get a better harvest every year than you did the year before, as long as you're intelligent. Always leave at least a third of them behind for nature and, and for reproduction uh, at least or more. Uh, and, um, you know, never be greedy. If you strip mine the place, you're never going to have anything left for next year. I, um, yeah, the whole like strip mining thing. I think that there was like an article that was put out about that. They were like, they were like, it doesn't affect the mushroom patch at all. If you pick or pluck, is that something that you believe or? I haven't seen any difference. I think I'll be honest with you. I think it more has to do with the species. I think some of them, it affects the mycorrhizae more, but yeah. most of the stuff, remember that, you know, you're basically picking the tomatoes off of a tomato vine. So, you know, if you look at it in terms of biomass of the actual creature, 
uh, or whatever you want to call it. Mushrooms are actually uh, more closely related to us eukaryotes and, and the animal kingdom than they are uh, plants. So um, uh, don't yeah, forget that yeah. genetically. Um, but uh, to me, I've never noticed a difference. Uh, I, I pluck everything. I don't really cut all that much unless it's off of a tree. Now, polypores, I, I will cut because I do feel like that, you know, it will grow back. And I've seen that, you know, multiple times, especially at Rishi's, as long as I'm not greedy, it'll come back, you know, so I'd rather come like back. A good, um, a good plant comparison, but like, I guess you could, you could, mm, compared to like a poplar tree or a maple you know how they put off those little shoots um like if you cut a tree down and you don't shred the stump it's just going to put off new shoots from that stump right um so there's some species absolutely like reishi like if you cut half of the mushroom off it's gonna regrow it's going to keep growing the other half of that mushroom is going to keep growing like if you just want like a culture and you want to put it on a petri dish you just need like this much, right? If you want to make a tincture with it and the mushrooms this big, you know, consider just taking half of it. You don't have to take the whole mushroom. That other half of that mushroom will grow the rest of the year and drop spores. Um, then there's like other mushrooms like chanterelles. You know, sometimes a chanterelle will grow the whole year and it'll like put off those spores, but um realistically it's kind of rot at the end of the year whether deer eat it or badgers or something or snails like it's not going to be there all year um and then what's another good example lion's mane i would slice that one off and not pluck it just for the same reason like you could get another mushroom at the end of the year maybe you're not going to see it but someone else might get to see a lion's mane same for serraspis crispa the cauliflower I think that'll regrow from the little stem butt in the same year. If you pull up that whole stem thing, like you're not even going to eat that bottom part anyway, because it's covered in dirt. So you might as well cut it and someone else might get like a mushroom at the end of the year. Now, do we know if it was going to like be a, like a perennial mushroom and come back, you know, maybe, maybe not. Like I've never, I've never had the privilege of coming back to my Seraspis spots, but I've heard that they do regrow until they run out of food. So it's definitely possible. Look at all these shanties. Yeah, bunch of uh, chanterelles last year. It's smooth and golden chanterelles in there uh, from uh, in Georgia. And there's a couple of cinnabars in there stuck in there as well. There was a, a really cute customer who came up to me and she was like, my grandpa, he would take the stem butts and he would actually like this is awful don't do this if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> do not do this he would like take a fourth floor and take like a handful home with him every time he went out and apparently he was making a giant like pile of like stem butts and forest floor and she was like it took him 20 years but they finally fruited i was like oh my god <laughs> how much forest did you relocate right. and that's the only successful story i've heard of chanterelles working I haven't, uh, I have not tried to artificially do chanterelles, but chanterelles seem to be, I've had way more luck in Oklahoma than in Colorado finding chanterelles, but uh, um, nothing beats Georgia. Every, I have a grow that I work at out there and every single time in the summertime, it doesn't matter anywhere between like June and, you know, mid September, we can just find, you know, ba grocery bags full all, all the time, anytime it rains basically. That's awesome. I can't wait to go check my spots. I hear that at this moment they are popping on the coast. They are at the farmer's market, but they're coastal varieties. 
So I'm waiting for them to come a little bit inland before I go out. Nice. Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, one of my favorites. Chantrelles are definitely, and what's interesting with the chantrelles is they have so much variety and flavor. You have the apricot ones and the regular ones and the cinnabars, and there's so much difference in flavor compared to any other group that I've noticed with the mushrooms. It's kind of almost unparalleled. I mean, there's ones in Oklahoma, especially earlier in the year, it almost tastes like apricots. They're so good. Well, now you're just bragging because we mostly just have golden chanterelles in the Northwest and they get really big, but we don't have like, I've heard a rumor that we had like Cinnabaris, like in one microclimate on one mountain that I've never been to, but all those beautiful different varieties of chanterelle is like a very unique thing to the Midwest and the East coast. So you're pretty lucky. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, spoiled here in Oklahoma for sure. Um, I grew up in Pennsylvania, which has actually the largest number of mushroom species. I think of any state in the United States, we have over 18,000 mushroom species out of fruiting bodies. Um, but I really got into mushrooms originally because you can go to the same patch of forest every single week with a macro camera and pick a, a photograph, a different mushroom that you never saw before. And that just got me super interested. I was really into macro photography and that's what got me set on mushrooms and really intrigued with mushrooms to start off with. Um, what what started you off on your mushroom journey? Um, I've, I think that mushrooms were like the first or second thing that I learned how to cook as a kid. And um, my dad was really into eating mushrooms. And I, I loved that they would absorb whatever flavor you made, you put them with. And that was like the first time I became a chef. I like actually to like sugar in those ones and like, you know, I tried all the different spices in our cabinet. Um, and then I got really into mushrooms, just like, uh, I can tell people this now since decriminalization is on, on their eyes, but like, you know, we tripped a lot in like middle school and high school. And like, there was something about that, that one, you know, it like really touched me. And like, I was a child that like thought really deeply about the world. And, um, like the one overwhelming feeling about mushrooms that I always got was that like, we're all connected. It's like, it's the mycelium feeling. It's like the reminder that like what you do to one, you do to the whole. And that is the, the energetic that our culture needs more now than ever. Like we need that more than anything is just to like realize that we're all the same organism on the same planet and that everything that we do affects everyone. And like, that makes people feel the opposite of small. That makes us feel powerful and like, you know, influential and like we can do anything and and the way that we think on a daily basis like can either limit us or drive us to be creative or happy or sad and people get stuck in these like ideologies in this way of life um and they they'll be trapped in those forever and you know so obviously like that was an influential thing but when I moved to Evergreen from Ohio I used to live in Ohio and I didn't know a lot about it other mushrooms but one of my roommates she was really excited about mushrooms and um one day she brought home this scary old man with a really long beard and um they like spread out all these mushrooms on a white piece of paper that they found in the woods and he looked like a like weird woodland elf and I like was like where did you get this homeless man and it turns out that this man was Richard Gaines who had worked closely with like Paul Stamets, you know, for many years. And he's an amazing person. And um, 
And that was like one of my first introductions into identifying mushrooms with my weird Hawaiian roommate who was really excited about them. And uh, then a few years later, I ended up living with Peter McCoy and he was, you know, doing the radical mycology convergence. Um, it was just like a wild ride. I just like, I just kind of like slowly got deeper and deeper into it. And I wasn't one of those people that like made my fortune off of growing like blue ringers or anything. And I invested that all into my business or whatever, but I did always like feel like human beings needed to be less afraid of mushrooms, learn more about mushrooms, understand them more that we had a lot to learn from mushrooms. Mushrooms tell amazing jokes, you know, mushrooms are like, they're beautiful, they're hysterical, they're like profound. And the more I learn about them, the more they learn about me, I think like, um, you know, we are more closely related than we think. And so that gives me hope at least for the future of society, whether we're just like a secondary species in the tertiary is on its way or whether we can like sort of come out of this dark period of earth's timeline and like remediate what we've created, who knows. I did want to mention the book that you just talked about, uh, Radical Mycology, probably one of the single best books on mycology out there, especially if you're trying to understand how it's working in your garden. They talk all about endophytes and uh, endophytic fungi and endotropic fungi and just everything you can think of. It's, it's an amazing, amazing book. Yeah, it's awesome. I've got some pictures in there. It's a really, really comprehensive book. It like touches on so many different things. And that event, actually, um, Radical Mycology Metamimicry is going to be teaching at that event. They're going to be doing a class there. So the group that I mentioned earlier that's been doing the salmon research. So if you get a chance to go out to that event, it'll be a good one. Radical Mycology. Awesome. Super looking forward to that one as well. I'll have to add that one to the list. Yeah, what, what I didn't realize there was a, a conference around that book because that book is amazing. I have a copy of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know. It's like, well, that would be a great book club book, huh? Oh, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, um, uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention to people about your stuff? Uh, well, if not, we'll start to wrap things up. Uh, I will also mention uh, we'll both be out at the uh, Massilia at the festival, put on by Cass Posey. She was on a couple of weeks ago. You can check out the episode with her uh 290 something i don't remember the exact number uh, i'll have to go back and look um but the massilia the festival is august 19th 20th and 21st in milkinson washington about an hour south of seattle uh, it's going to be a great time um we have a, a slew of amazing speakers uh, including the one uh um that's on the show this evening uh uh, uh ava and uh, many other uh, uh wonderful people chris uh, matt Matt was on last week. Um, Chris has been on numerous times uh, and a whole bunch of other wonderful people are really, really looking forward to it. And um, yeah, super excited. They, they still have uh, plenty of spots available. I think they're getting pretty low on the RV ones and a couple other ones. So if you're thinking about that, be sure to hit up cast sooner than later. Uh, otherwise uh, plenty of room left for people that want to do tent camping or car camping. Hmm. It sounds like it's going to be just like a, an adult playground for myco nerds so that'll be really really fun swimming it'll be like this like this uh timeline back into summer camp when we're all doing weird little classes but it'll be updated for adults 
Yeah, we gotta put somebody's shorts on the the flagpole. <laughs> definitely looking forward to all the brain food that weekend for sure. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to it almost as like a mental vacation from the rest of the summer. So, uh, super super stoked. Absolutely. Um, anything else you well, wanted to mention? I, think, like, I mentioned. Um, the fungi symposium that's going to be really good um if you want to rsvp for that you got to email fungi and friends at gmail.com you can find them on instagram fungi and friends um get some mushroom underwear from my website go to the radical mycology convergence go to mycelium the fest i'm like what am i forgetting can't think of anything right now but if we have um any more events this year with the Olympia Mycelial Network. You can hear about that from our listserv. Um, got to email network at gmail.com to get on the listserv. Um, and other than that, I don't know, keep, keep eating spores, keep growing mycelium, keep learning, stay hopeful. Awesome. Well, uh, definitely looking forward to that. And um, if you guys want to learn more about our uh, guest today, you can certainly check out her over at uh, um, Um We'll have a link to that in the description, uh, as well as the uh, uh, Olympia Mycelial Network and her uh, Twitter uh, as well. Um, and then, you, again, if you want to hang out with us and a whole bunch of other amazing people, come hang out with us at Mycelia at the festival. Uh, and again, mycoprizal, so that's M-Y-C-O-U-P-R-R-H-I-Z-A-L.com or olympiamycelialnetwork.wordpress.com. It's a pun on mycorrhizae. So it's mycoprizal. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, definitely wanted to make sure that our audio listeners could uh, have those websites as well. Well, thank uh, thank you so much for joining us. I certainly look certainly looking forward to meeting you in person here in about two weeks, and uh, we're going to have more amazing speakers from this upcoming event um, uh, on the show between now and the event. Um, we got a lot of they have so many amazing speakers there, so we got a bunch of them booked up. But we're going to have a couple of Monday and Tuesday episodes, which we're we're going to kind of do sporadically uh, along with our normal Thursday episodes, just to try to get everybody in there before the event. And um, I hope to see everybody up there. If you're in the Northwest, really looking forward to hanging out with you guys. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. And I, and I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us and educate people about the, the wonderful things that you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been amazing. And I really appreciate you all. And I can't wait to see you all at my Celia at the Fest. It can be so fun, so rad. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. And do you want to tell everybody you you don't have to, if you don't want to, but uh, you were telling us about how cool it was, the place that you're at. And if you want to share, that's great. And if you don't, that's okay too. Uh, Miller Sylvania park. It's a really, really beautiful old growth forest in Olympia, Olympia, Washington off of I five North um, exit 95. will take you there. And it's like the only state park that has a beer and wine garden in it. And so I had a couple of ciders while I was sitting here. It was real fun. It's owned by um, some people I really love, John and Abby. They actually um, have been really supportive in like my business. And so I really recommend coming here to look at the biodiversity, if not to hang out and go swimming and have a drink or um, just a beautiful place. It's also very like abundant in little blood sucking mos mosquitoes right now. So that's a fun game that I'm playing. 
but it's super beautiful. If you ever get a chance to come check out this park, definitely um, a landmark. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time this evening and it sounds like a wonderful place for people to check out. Thank you. Thanks a lot. And uh, uh, I definitely uh, am looking forward to learning more about you and your workshop coming up. Thank you. Yeah, it'll be fun. The log plugging workshop. I've got some logs I'm going to bring by and I think, um, I think Cass is going to let me like sell those to people if they want to take them home afterwards. And I'll bring a bunch of my dowels and mushroom kits to sell. I'll bring the underwear and some t-shirts and some other weird stuff. Maybe I'll bring some liquid cultures because people want to cultivate at home. So yeah. Well, that sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, uh, really looking forward to it. Again, you can check her out at uh, mycorrhizal.com. Again, we'll have the links if, regardless of what platform. If you're doing YouTube, obviously we can only link uh, uh, social media. You can find it on potentproducts.com. Uh, we'll have the blog post with all the first stuff as well. I do have a TikTok if you want to um, post that. It's a spore slurries. And there's a, there's a few how-tos on there. There's a liquid culture how-to. And I use it for personal stuff too. So just like goofy little TikToks, but that's available for resources. There's some cool mushroom stuff on there. That's great. I I don't have a TikTok at the moment, but uh, at some point I should probably do it. Uh, anyways, uh, I'll um, yeah, sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that was a, a wonderful interview with uh, with her, and I'm definitely looking forward to uh, to checking her out um, at the festival. Uh, Wes, uh, how's everything in your garden? Everything's good, man. Well, I mean, I had a little uh, spider mite start out, but I dropped the bomb with a bunch of beneficials on them, and I, I think it should be coming under control here because it was really early on. I caught it, so uh, and so there's that. Uh, got a bunch of new stuff popping and coming up. Uh, got a uh, Gary Payton time to Max. Uh, time to Mac. Uh, got some uh, got some hash climbing up. Um, let's see. Uh, what else? And what else? I, I've been popping a bunch of stuff. Oh, pop some Chernobyl. Pop some um, some Island Sweet Sweet Skunk. Uh, got some uh, Mac and Jack going. I, I got just, just a ton of stuff going right now. Just uh, just popping seeds, running through it, see what comes out. Um, yeah, man. How about you? What's uh, cracking with you this? Oh, and uh, don't forget to check out our show. Uh, wearing the Cobra shirt is a throwback to last night's episodes where we, uh, we, where we got into Cobras and all types of different things. Uh, excited about the new show. And uh, yeah, man. But anyways, uh, how are things in your garden? Oh, I'm in between. Uh, in, well, uh, we in between harvests. We finished up one and I don't have a... Kind of figuring out if, we're, if I'm going to be here longer term or if I'm going to move on to a, a different spot. I have a bunch of work stuff going on right now, so I might not be home enough to, to care for the garden. Um, and uh, yeah, just um, uh, don't have anything growing there. I definitely have some stuff with some different clients that we've been popping and working on right now. And um, uh, yeah, uh, I kind of had a... Well, I don't know if I should the, mention. The, it. I I was thinking about. I had the some one funny stuff come up that uh, on a grow that I was working on previously, where uh, 
Uh, anyone that's done consulting, when you walk into a place that's just never going to succeed and you, you can call it ahead of time, um, and, you know, and it all pans out exactly as you said. Uh, it doesn't like, matter how much right advice you give if it's not taken. <laughs> exactly. If you don't feel less than good advice, you can't fix it. But we had someone that I was, I was, I was helping out previously that uh, failed spectacularly because they didn't listen to the basic advice that I gave them. And uh, it was kind of entertaining to get a call from the head grower this week and be like, yeah, remember how you said all this shit was going to happen? That's exactly what happened. So that was pretty funny. Um, but other than that, I'm just looking forward to um, uh, hanging out with everybody up at Turp Fest, uh, our Turp Float this weekend in Oklahoma. Um, we'll have uh, I'll be hanging out with uh, Brendan Rust. He'll be up there and um, uh, a bunch of my other grow buddies from Oklahoma. Uh, Chase will be up there uh, hanging out with him. Uh, we'll be hanging out with Jordan River from Growcast. So we're going to have a whole bunch of just awesome people uh, hanging out with on Saturday. Definitely looking forward to that. And um uh, what else do I have going on right now? Other than that, I'm just working on getting our edibles launched in a couple of different states right now. Um, uh, working on expanding that. So uh, that's really taking off. It might be actually sp- expanding to Europe here uh, before too long. So if you're in Germany or a couple of other places uh, and you're listening to the show, uh, you might actually be able to buy some of my drinks here soon. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed uh, we're in negotiations, but uh, we could be expanding to Europe pretty here soon. So, really stoked on that uh, again not not counting the chickens before they hatch but uh it's looking that way so I'm stoked on that and just a lot of the kind of just a lot of stuff i've been working on for a long time is kind of finally getting to the point where it's it's panning out so i'm kind of stoked on that um and then other than that um, we had our inspection uh, with georgia at the farm out there and we and that went really well the state was really happy with what we've been doing for the last year so uh, no complaints um um, awesome. Other than that, just I think uh, international travel is going to come back here before too long. I got to find somebody with some dog sit, but uh, once I do that, I think I'm going to be back doing some projects a little more uh, uh, outside the U.S. a little bit, at least you know here and there. So um, yeah, uh, just kind of uh, a lot of different pokers in the fire, and just kind of not quite ready to talk about a lot of them yet. So. Um, I think that's the most of it. <laughs> uh, the, the one you told me about there, I, I was thinking about that today and I was like, I don't know. I think if I was you, I'd probably take it. Actually, one of those, they, cause I've been slow to reply. They increased the offer today. So I'm kind of stoked. Nice. <laughs> so I can't complain. Um, but, uh, but it's not necessarily, that wasn't why I was slow to reply. It was just uh, a sweet move. One of, my, uh, one of my best friends growing up as a kid has been uh, in a coma the last week and a oh, half. Yeah. He, been real not in a good shape and he woke up today um awesome. so that was a really fucking good thing that happened today and i feel like after that happened all these other good things started to happen today so i felt like i kind of had to just like get through a, a couple weeks of shit and, and things are starting to get better so but the, you know fuck everything else in my life the fact that my my buddy i grew up with is is feeling better is that's awesome i don't give a fuck everything else goes to shit yeah, frankly uh, the fact that he's okay is, is a good thing so um, that's been a big thing heavy on my mind. And then just uh, my pops has got COVID right now. So that's been um, a stressful because that's how we lost my mom. So uh, uh, that's been a rough week. So uh, he's starting to get through the worst of it too. And and we, I got him on Makuna beans and Mullen uh, extract. And he's been as soon, within a couple hours of taking both of those, he's been really noticeably different on the phone. So 
Um, really, really stoked on that. And the fact that he's kind of turning to herbal medicine and it's working better than the, the stuff he's being prescribed by the doctor and all that. And just seeing that instant response that you don't see with traditional medicine, um, it's yeah. kind of a, a glaringly obvious to someone that's paying attention. So that's that's kind of cool. But awesome. uh, 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 he's on the up and up, but it's just been a long week. I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, really excited. I mean, we did, I think we did really, really good on, um, uh, the show we did last night, that grow show or that smoke show. If you guys haven't checked it out, DAT smoke show, um, we'll be doing that every Wednesday. Um, some weeks I might not be there. Some weeks West night might be there. It's not a one personality show that's hosting it. We have a couple people that are going to be able to run the show. Um, so it's not about any one person's personality, just about us hanging out in this one group with a bunch of other people that we enjoy having discussions with. Um, so Absolutely. I think you guys will enjoy it. I think it was really fun last night. I think we already have over 200 views uh, and we just launched the channel. So that's yeah, good. That's Definitely awesome. check it out. Go subscribe, like, check out the uh, yesterday's episode. And um, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to more stuff. Uh, we'll have another episode Monday or Tuesday uh, and another episode Thursday. And then the week of the 18th, we're not going to have a show uh, on Thursday. Uh, I will be traveling. I will be out at my silly at the festival that weekend. Uh, and then we will have a show again the following week, but uh, we will have a couple of uh, maybe that one week. We won't have a show coming up in August, just as a, a programming note. We are looking for a couple of, uh, more speakers for the festival coming up. We do have our festival first week of November uh, for uh, the Aquaponic Cannabis um, uh, Conference. Uh, if you're interested in speaking on that and you're an Aquaponic Cannabis grower, we are looking for a couple more commercial producers and one more person for the scientific speaking slots. We are kind of going to alternate this year. So we're going to have a commercial producer, then a scientific or more science-oriented speaker or a researcher, that kind of thing to kind of alternate because I feel like we kind of lightly did that last year and the format worked a little bit better and it kept people interested in the show the whole time. And I think that that kind of going from experience to science, experience to science is going to work out a little bit better for the formats this year. So um, I'm super stoked on that. We also have some really cool people for the breeders panel, breeders panel this year, which we're going to leave kind of secret until uh, closer to the conference. Um, but we have some cool, cool, cool people on the breeding side that you guys are going to be stoked to hear from. Um, so, so super, super excited on that. And um, what else? Uh, just a lot of cool shit I can't quite talk about yet. But, uh, I guess it's probably the shittiest part of it. <laughs> so um, other than that, uh, again, I hope to see you all up at uh, Turp Float this weekend in Oklahoma. You guys can check out the website for them, Turp Float, uh, whatever it is. I think they still have a few tickets left. Uh, I know they are getting close to selling out the event, but uh, there are a few left. Um, lots of great people will be up there. And uh, yeah, uh, uh, thanks everybody for watching. Uh, how do people find you, Wes? uh on everything as west engine and uh you can find me uh wednesdays on uh that smoke show d-a-t smoke show and uh yeah and uh here on thursdays what's the best people, uh, way for people to get a hold of you Colton? Uh, you can find us over at dat smoke show uh, again we're still working on the audio stuff I will get this up in audio format this weekend. I just haven't gotten to that format yet, but if you're looking to find it on the same platforms that you find this show, uh, I, I, you know, give me a week and I'll, I'll get it up there. Um, but, uh, the YouTube channel is that smoke show. Um, please subscribe, like, uh, check out the show. I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, and then if you want to hang out with us again, my silly at the festival up in Washington, uh, my silly at the festival.com. 
Uh, and you can find my classes over at thepestclass.com or apmjclass.com. Uh, we do have a, a wonderful online course there that kind of covers every aspect of aquaponic cannabis production from construction, design, planning, um, cultivation, minerals, pest management, uh, you name it, we, we cover it. And uh, you can find our guest again in um, mycorrhizal.com. And uh, yeah, you can find this podcast on SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify.